Thanks for joining us on episode 1096 of the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. I'm Jerry Fu. I challenge you to invest in yourself, invest in others, develop your influence, and impact the world by using your time, your talent, and your treasures to live out your calling. Having the ability to understand and resolve conflict is key, and one way to be inspired to do that is to listen to this, the Inspired Stewardship Podcast with my friend Scott Mater. The question I had to ask myself when I was dealing with conflict was, how resentful do you feel each day? How are your relationships? Because if you are not at a point where you look forward to seeing the people in your life, whether it's people you work with or family members or friends. um... Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures for your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, you will learn to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. In today's interview with Jerry Fu, I asked Jerry what brought him to coaching. I also asked Jerry why he focuses so much on coaching around conflict resolution. And I also asked Jerry to share with you what saved his career after he was fired. One reason I like to bring you great interviews like the one you're going to hear today is because of the power in learning from others. Another great way to learn from others is through reading books. But if you're like most people today, you find it hard to find the time to sit down and read. And that's why today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Go to inspiredstewardship.com slash audible to sign up and you can get a 30-day free trial. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from, and instead of reading, you can listen your way to learn from some of the greatest minds out there. That's inspiredstewardship.com slash audible to get your free trial and listen to great books the same way you're listening to this podcast. Jerry Fu is a conflict resolution coach for Asian American leaders. He started coaching in 2017 to help other Asian American professionals deal with the challenges they encounter at work, with their families, and within themselves. Prior to starting his coaching business, Jerry worked as a pharmacist and began facilitating leadership workshops in 2012. Today, Jerry offers a range of coaching services, which includes individual coaching, group workshops, and keynote presentations. In his free time, Jerry enjoys travel, trying new restaurants, and lots of salsa dancing. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. So let's start here. What got you into the kind of coaching that you actually do? Yeah. The underlying theme of my journey into coaching is uh, a struggle and aversion to whether because of cultural norms watching my the way my parents handled conflict with themselves or with guests that didn't take off their shoes you know when they entered the house <laughs> yeah or, they, yeah or they overstayed their welcome things like that and then part of it was also being in retail jobs where you're supposed to placate the customer no matter how uh, unreasonable their request <laughs> or anything like that and even in college or so or that in pharmacy school, that's when I started to realize, yeah, I was 
whatever conflict um, approach I had was not working, but I didn't believe I could get better at it. And I didn't want to admit that I needed to get better at it in my fixed mindset, thinking that this is the best I could do. And it didn't bode well when I, you know, got into chain pharmacy as, as the start of my career. And again, just being beat up by difficult customers and patients and things. And I said to myself, you know, is this, is this all I can do? Because I feel like I'm just supposed to be the nice guy. I'm supposed to be the meek person that somehow um, this is the, the best way to handle these things. And I remember just after I, I struggled with a really difficult customer service incident where I said, okay, I need to change this up. I need to do something different with my career. And so even though I didn't have a conventional PhD or residency, I wanted to get into teaching pharmacy students and managed to leverage my network to get a teaching job through a pharmacy consulting company here in Houston. And next thing I know, I'm moving from Knoxville, where I was working at the time, to to move for this company and take a chance on this part-time position that would hopefully grow into a full-time position. And when I realized I was in over my head in terms of expectations not being met and things like that, again, just that I pulled back. I was struggling to deal with the, the, the feedback I didn't want to hear. And so eventually my supervisor and I began to disengage. And then after 11 months, since I started with the company, they fired me. And so I realized quickly, I need to get better at leadership. I need to get better at difficult conversations, but mm -hmm. still really didn't want to admit. I just didn't like the feeling of failure. I didn't like what else, you know, what, I didn't like what I felt like about myself when I had a bad conversation that went worse. Even as I finally gave myself permission a couple of years later, after teaching some leadership workshops that allowed me the possibility that maybe I could actually be good at this, still was very averse to difficult conversations. This included a boss who wrote me bad paychecks. And it was like, how do I confront this guy? I'm upset. I'm really upset. And yet if I really unload on him, because <laughs> he, I think he's not paying me, but how do I tell him that? <laughs> how do I he probably already knows. <laughs> yeah. Even after I took on some manager positions, which ended up saving my pharmacy uh, career, staying employed as a pharmacist, I actually ended up getting written up at another job because my um, technicians were not pulling their weight. And I, I kept using grace as an excuse to, to not engage them. I said, well, let me just spare them consequences and just trust that even as we're upset with them, that somehow we're going to trust that they're going to you know, come around and grow into this. And management wrote me up and they said, no, like this is unacceptable. Like, they're underperforming is bad. And your unwillingness to discipline them or even fire them is also bad. And so this is the only way we're going to get our point across is if we put you in the doghouse. And so managed to work my way out of that, but still very much um, still scared of, of difficult things about leadership. And eventually after, so the first kind of transformation was, okay, boss is telling me to do a job. I get the job done unless I resort to some, unless it's completely unethical or illegal. Like I shouldn't say no. I should finally go way to get the job done. And then the second is recognizing that if there is a conflict un that's unresolved, take care of it quickly, take care of it while it's still small. And that things tend to go better when you don't wait for a fire to get so big before you decide to finally call the fire department. But all that to say, yeah, about four years ago, realized that I didn't want to keep doing pharmacy jobs where I 
had to chase doctors for scripts, had to, you know, fight insurance companies uh, to dictate what I'm worth. And so I said, but teaching these leadership workshops, I love doing that. What if I became a coach so that I could develop people the way I wish I'd been developed? And so initially, it sounded really exciting to announce this new venture. And then, and then it turns out everybody wants to coach, right? It's like all of a sudden, I'm joining a club full of leadership coaches. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh my goodness, like, how do I stand out? And I went from one saturated job market and I did, and, and to another, and I didn't realize that. And so I decided to niche down, partly due to own personal experience, but partly because my friends gave me a lot of feedback on this. And they said, Jerry, it's blatant that conflict resolution is your niche between your personal challenges and your professional challenges, everything centers around some kind of conflict that you had to deal with. And so I tell people, I didn't necessarily choose conflict resolution. It chose me. <laughs> and here we are. Yeah. But that's, I think that's important to point out. First off, that I want to ask this question. So, mm-hmm. so people have the context. How many years from the beginning of that journey that you just started sharing to four years ago when you started saying, I want to do this coaching? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I've been practicing as a pharmacist for 16 years. So this is definitely a long winding journey with detours and interruptions. Sometimes I sought out the challenge. Other times the challenge has found me. And Mm -hmm. regardless of how you end up with one, uh, regardless of how it ends up in front of you, if you don't pass the test, you have to take it again. Right. Yeah. But I and it's so this is a 20 year journey. We're not talking oh, yeah. six yeah. years. We're not talking six months. We're talking. Oh, no, no, yeah. This is not a microwave. <laughs> it's not an instant. Hey, uh, let's, uh, you know, let's get you in these workshops in six months and you know exactly what you need to do the rest of your life. It's not that easy. If it's and great, the, if it happens, great. But, you know, yeah. And the second part, just to again call that out for folks, you chose the niche of conflict in mm-hmm. part because that's the area that you had worked on. Mm-hmm. For those twenty years, yeah. now, and you're now trying to help other people take that same journey, but not take twenty years to get there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, no, you don't have to skim. The point? The, you don't have to skim my knee exactly the way I did in order to learn that lesson. Absolutely, and I think that's important to call out because that oftentimes, as a coach, that is one of the ways that coaches find their niche mm-hmm. is the place that. You know, it took me 35 years to figure this out. I don't want everybody else to have to take 35 years to do it. So I'm going to, I'm going to jumpstart it a little bit. So that's awesome. And I also think it's interesting that, as you said, to distinguish yourself, because mm-hmm. most of the time people think, oh, we need a broader audience and you mm-hmm. recognize, no, wait, actually I need to focus in more. Mm-hmm. So how would someone know if they're, if this is an area that they need to work on in terms of conflict resolution, what are some of the symptoms or some of the, the things that would pop out to them? Oh, great question. Yeah. I think the question I had to ask myself when I was dealing with conflict was, how resentful do you feel each day? How are your relationships? Because if you are not at a point where you look forward to seeing the people in your life, whether it's people you work with or family members or friends, what I've noticed, and I hated to admit that John Maxwell was right about this, uh, trust is really the biggest gauge as to whether or not uh, you enjoy being around someone. If you trust them, you'll like being around them. If you don't trust them, you won't like being around them. And so if you don't like the people you're around, you probably have some degree of unresolved conflict that needs to, that you can, that you have the opportunity to address. You don't have to settle for this. 
because you can either have the conversation to you know, adjust and reset expectations, or you can change up your friends so that you can get a fresh start or however you want to resolve this conflict, whether it's restore your current relationships or reset them, it's your choice. Just understand that until you decide to do something that you shouldn't expect like outside circumstances or help to come in and, and, and rescue. So now I've got to ask a different question. In the intro, we mentioned that you enjoy travel, trying new restaurants, and then salsa dancing. So yeah. where does the salsa dancing come into uh, this this pattern? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those growth journeys, much growth as a leader. In work settings, I had to grow as a leader on the dance floor. It's not a hobby I would have picked for myself, Scott. Just got my first taste of it in college during a spring formal. They tried to teach us a salsa lesson and it was terrible. <laughs> Even when I teach salsa, I think about that lesson. I thought to myself, man, that was a really bad lesson. And uh, basically, yeah, I stayed away from it for several years, just in that fixed mindset. Oh, if I'm not good at this after two or three passes, then I'll never be good at it. So I'm just going to leave it alone. I don't like feeling incompetent. And during pharmacy school, some friends were starting the scene in Memphis. And so they said, hey, you got to give it another chance. And by my third year of school, my grades had solidified like a bad, one more bad grade wasn't going to like tip the scales too much. And so I said to myself, okay, I'm going to spend more time trying to go dancing and, and give myself more study breaks. And I got to a point where I actually really enjoyed it. And then I went through, after I graduated, I moved to a city that had no salsa dancing. So I, I got rusty and went through this really unproductive cycle of rust and lack of confidence and missing it and then trying to get back on it. And then, nope, go through more rust and confidence slacking and, and uh, missing it. And it wasn't until about four, four years after I moved back to Houston where I rediscovered my love for it and was locked in. I tell people, all it took was one skilled, pretty blonde to be like, you know what? I got to bring my A game. <laughs> I said, after I danced up there, I said, oh my gosh, uh, why did I stay away from this for so long? And it's been a regular part of my life. So again, that that idea of, you you mentioned a couple of times fixed mindset. So would you explain, and I've talked about it before on the show, but for anybody new that maybe hasn't heard that, yeah. what do you mean by fixed mindset and kind of what's the opposite of that? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Fixed mindset, right? You believe things are static. If you're good at something, you'll always be good at it. If you're bad at something, you'll always be bad at it. And there is no room for change. And whether you've you know sealed your fate with your career or certain relationships you just have to settle for. Yeah, you just believe that things are, are the way they are and that's the way they'll always be, even if there's evidence otherwise. And then the opposite of that then is a growth mindset to recognize, hey, most things in life uh, take work. No one starts off an expert. And if I put in enough work, I may not be the best at it, but I will get better at it. And as long as you focus on improving each day at something you feel is worth investing in, um, at some point, someone will consider you an expert. And, and you may not be the best in the world. But the old story is if you've read five books on a subject that you actually probably know as much as many experts, <laughs> because most people don't read five books on any one subject. So that, that's put you in the upper echelon already. Yeah. So earlier you referenced getting fired and using your network and, and leveraging some things. Can you expand a little bit on? How because being fired is a big 
deal. Emotionally, financially, there's a lot of impacts. How did you go through that situation and leverage where you were at to refocus and restart your career? Mm, Yeah, great question. After I got fired, yeah, just the emotions are just running through my head. I was stunned. I, it's always it, a surprise, even when it shouldn't be. Isn't it, it is. Well, yeah. The funny thing is, one of the one of the weird details is that I could look at my my bosses made their calendars available to us to access, so we knew what kind of appointments they were having. And so when I saw my supervisor's name with the department head's name and HR on what ended up being my last day, <laughs> so, I said, "This is going to suck. I just don't know how it's going to go down, but this is going to suck." And yeah, at the end of that Friday, last Friday in April, I get called into the department has he chews me out. And then I'm like, okay, just maintain eye contact. Just maintain eye contact. That's all that's going through my head right now. I'm just like, just whatever you do, just maintain eye contact. And yeah, they told me it was my last day. Clean out my office, turn in my badges. And I'm just sitting there thinking, oh my, you know, what do I do with this? I moved to Houston mm-hmm. for this job. Like, mm-hmm. I... I'm turning in my badge. And even though I only lived four miles from work, Scott, that was the longest drive home. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it really didn't, even as hard as it hit me that day, the next day, when I tried to use my old logins, trying to get back into the websites and things, and they're like, nope, they wiped that clean. It was just like mafia style. Nope, just erase him. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, God, like now I'm really. And then the following Monday, where I know I'm supposed to go into where I would normally have a routine to go into work and I don't have that. I just sit in silence and I'm sitting there thinking, what do I do? And yeah, I tried to file for unemployment and, and, and play that song and dance and ended up, yeah, like part of my unemployment conditions were that I applied to jobs each week to mm-hmm. show that mm-hmm. I was active. And at some one point I ran out of like reputable companies to apply to or names that I recognized. And then, so I, applied to this company confidential job, which guys don't ever apply to job posting that says company confidential. Like it just <laughs> never goes well. Is that is that the CIA? Yeah, right. You don't know. Um there might be something good, but it there there usually isn't anything good. It's like the nothing good ever happens after two two AM. Like nothing bad might happen, but nothing good will happen. And I got tangled up with a recruiter more concerned about her commission than actually placing me in a in a good job situation mm-hmm. ended up settling for one of the jobs that she offered. Cause by now I'd been out for six weeks and I said, okay, I don't want my employment where my unemployment benefits are going to drop by 20%. And I just didn't want to keep relying on them. So I decided to take this job and yeah, shortly, I haven't mentioned this to a lot of podcast hosts, but a week into this job, I get a call from the same recruiter who pushed so hard for me to take this job. And she said, Hey, I think you're better off working for the first choice that I gave you. You got to get out of there. This guy's bad news. And <laughs> I said to myself, I'm just sitting there thinking, what, like, why did you change your tune so quickly? Uh, the <laughs> her check bounced. And that's why that's she, how she knew it was bad news. The re- yeah, the yeah, yeah. Check but, but she didn't okay. tell me like she, if she had been more transparent, I would have, you know, probably trusted her more. I had signed the six-month contract with this guy, and I, I, I didn't want to back out of it because that, I just thought that looked bad. I mean, you know, even though nothing had changed hands yet, but yeah, when the first check bounced, me told me, and the boss told me, he says, "Hey, yeah, we'll compensate you with 
cash or cashier's check. There's just some accounting problems. And I was like, okay, I'm just really naive about it. Yeah, where stuff happens. Yeah, one time, okay, benefit of the doubt. And then another three bounced. And I didn't know this because I was sending my checks home because I had a I didn't bother setting up a local bank account. So I had no firsthand knowledge that this was happening. And I love my mom. And again, in this conflict aversion, she did not tell me that these checks were bouncing. Oh, I don't want to. It's like, how am I supposed to pay my bills? Now I'm writing checks that are bouncing because my boss wrote me bad checks. This is not a good sequence. And so what I referenced earlier, I had a very misguided view of grace. Let me honor my part, even if he doesn't honor his. And I'm going to trust that he's going to come around. And everyone's around me is just, Jerry, he's not paying you. Leave. He's, you're doing work for him. He's not paying you the way he promised. That is a breach of contract. He's in breach um, of contract. Exactly. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. And I was really stuck in this bad cycle, though, because I was just basically chasing money because he's like, I can't pay you unless we move these scripts for crooked doctors. And so now I'm jeopardizing. The only way I get paid is if I jeopardize my license. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know how to get off this really nasty treadmill. And it wasn't until nine months into it where my friends, other parts of my network said, okay, we have a, we have something lined up, get out of there. And so I, I hop on with this next company and things seem okay. I've been doing pain management legitimately, but money's really tight. And they tell me after about, they, well, number one, they had to hold off my hire date for a month. So oh. for, so that was the first problem. The second was after they trained me, they said, hey, we like you, but we can't pay you more than eight hours a week. And I said, oh, <laughs> thank you for telling me sooner than later. Do I choose between rent or groceries this month? They're like, how does that go? And so I asked, well, what's available to me? And they said, well, you can get more hours for us and with us in Austin if you're willing to drive out there, which is for those of you not familiar with Texas geography, two and a half hours away and a really fun city. Um, but I was so settled into Houston at this point where moving to Austin, even temporarily felt like an entire shift and everyone else is telling me, you could end up in worse places. And I said, yeah, it's still not home. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I'm working in Austin. This is 2012 now. I'm working in Austin with no idea of what my life is going to look like because all my stuff was in Houston. I would need to, if I settled in Austin, I'd need to find a new apartment. I need to, I was already, thankfully, I was already connected with a bunch of people there. Like I, I didn't have to walk into a city blind where I had no connections at all, like Amarillo or you know other mm-hmm. random cities like Midland or something. And but again, just no idea. I was just mired in self-pity and just feeling sorry for myself and just wondering where the wind would take me next, basically. And again, just this network just comes through for me in random ways. And that summer, I was asked to help facilitate some leadership workshops through a pharmacy leadership nonprofit, also through the same network of fraternity brothers. And they said, hey, we know you've been facilitating workshops on the fraternity side, but a spot opened up for a national leadership meeting. Would you be interested? And I said, absolutely. And went through that process, got paired up with a pharmacist. I still sing his praises today because he basically gave me the blueprint for successful leadership or effective leadership. And so between teaching leadership material and then seeing it modeled for me, and seeing how I experienced, oh, this is what an effective leader does. This is what 
you know, mm-hmm. he brought out the best in me. He gave me the confidence to, to handle my part. And, you know, I, and it wasn't just, Oh, Hey, this is yours. You better take care of it. It is. Oh, I want to do the best job I can for him. I want mm-hmm. to run through walls for this guy. And so I had to slow down and ask myself, how did, and some of the things I list and some of the things I internalized is and in, in, in trying to suss out my own leadership style. I said, Michael Negretti, uh, he's fun to be around. He's just, he draws people in. He's fun to learn from. He's always, you know, got something interesting to talk about or something he's working on. So that's also great, right? Uh, third is he's always tinkering, always creative. Everything that he takes, he doesn't just think, okay, this is good enough. I'll leave it alone. It's always, he's always experimenting with something. And then not only does he experiment, he invites you to collaborate with him as he's experimenting. He mm-hmm. goes, hey, Jerry, I, I reshuffled all this a little bit. I was trying to do some things. Hey, what do you think of this? And then you're just excited to keep up with them. You're like, hey, this is fun. Like, I want to do this. And then, yeah, uh, tireless worker. Like, there's no question how hard he works. Like, you don't want to burn yourself out. But at the same time, like, you should have no question about, wow, like, he worked hard on this. Like, he stayed up extra hours just to make sure uh, these things are ready. And so in study, and then also he, failure was never a problem for him. If something didn't go as planned, it was never, oh, God, how dare you mess this up, da, da, da. It was just like, no, okay, what do we learn from this? What do we need to change? Okay, uh, don't dwell on it overly, right? Yes, we mm-hmm. want to reflect a little bit, but we're not going to cry over spilled milk. We're not going to get mad over, over what we lost. We're going to focus on the lesson, and then we're going to keep moving forward. And yeah, these were the things that I realized I need to you know, internalize and, 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 and use I put my own spin on things, I put my own spices in my own recipe, but yeah, this is where I started to, that was the first genesis of realizing, oh, you know what? I'm excited to do these things. If this is what it takes us to be a good. If you had to talk to somebody and share with them, what are some of the top principles or resources or ideas that they should look at if they're thinking to themselves, Hey, I'm struggling in some of these areas. I want to get better at it. You know, what are some tips or uh, some principles that, that they may need to focus on? Yeah, I think the first thing is to uh, generate your own because Jim Quick talks about automatic negative thoughts <laughs> and by those, right? On one hand, the pessimism is healthy and that's meant to protect us, right? When you see like a challenge and you think worst case scenario, because you, it's good to, to anticipate those and account for those possibilities. And at the same time, I think the first is when you see a challenge, ask yourself, do I immediately get intimidated by it? Or am I already thinking of possible ways to overcome it? And so that's one thing I would um, suggest for people who are struggling. Hey, why are these thoughts coming up? And what, you know, are these helpful? Are these effective? If not, okay, what do I need to start thinking? That's, I think, one thing. Um, a big turning point for me was giving yourself permission to be successful, to say, hey, you know what? I believe in my ability to actually do the job that I need to do. And saying, hey, what I'm telling myself is I'm, the, I'm my own most important voice, right? Because it, other people can have their opinions. And the, I think the problem is when we agree with too many, especially if they are not people that we trust or respect and we know have our best interests. That's that. And then three, ask yourself, what kind of team do you have around you? Is your inner circle moving forward? Is your work team really on board with what's essential and complementing each other's strengths and covering each other's weaknesses and really looking out for each other? 
because yeah, too often, if you lack individual willpower and discipline, the best solution is to ask for help and surround yourself with people who will keep you accountable. So I think if you're struggling with that, yeah, ask yourself what you're learning, ask yourself what else could you experiment in terms of trying to get better and believing that, uh, yeah, do I believe I can get better? Yes. Okay. Then how can you get, could you read a book? Could you ask for advice? Surely this is not a new struggle, right? Most of the leadership struggles are not new. They're just new to the person that's new to the position. They're new to you. (laughs) And the Heath brothers books are, are all five Mm -hmm. of them are, is, are one of the resources I recommend. And one of the things they say, it seems like a no brainer to us in leadership, but I think people just don't want to admit it's there. Find someone who solved your, all these leaders in this world and none of them have dealt with what you've dealt with. That's a pretty tall, uh, tall bed, right. That, that somehow this is unique to you. So, um, well, yeah. but I think in leadership roles, a lot of times we feel isolated because you yeah, feel like true. you're supposed yeah. to have all of the answers. Mm-hmm. That's why yeah. you're in that role, even though that's not actually why you're in that role, mm-hmm. but it feels like that's why you're in the role. No, it is. It can feel lonely for sure. And that's the other thing I think that I'm glad you touched on that. I actually have a blog post on what to do when you feel lonely as a leader. And yeah. It can be when you feel like you're standing alone and no one else is supporting you. Yeah. I mean, you're just like, you know, why am I even bothering? And yeah. Where do you look out for help? What lessons are you willing to learn? The solution may cost a little more in terms of the money. It's going to cost you even more in terms of time. If you're not willing to invest the money, what's, what's more important to you at this point, outsourcing or getting paying for a very insightful opinion and assessment, or just learning the lesson on your own, but in a year or two, you may not have anything to invest in. So be careful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can follow Jerry on LinkedIn as Jerry Fu or find him on his website at adaptingleaders.com. Of course, I'll have links to those over in the show notes as well. Jerry, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listener? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. When you go to the, there is a free download we may have mentioned this earlier in the previous episode about yeah free download on a framework to handle difficult conversations. You can also schedule a complimentary 30-minute call just to share your story or a challenge you need some help with, no strings attached. You can also find my free book blog where I discuss interesting and useful leadership literature. I summarize it for you, give you some key takeaways. So if you don't have time to read, just check out the blog post and hopefully that's enough to, to get you going or to inspire you to read the book yourself and see what kind of dialogue that leads to. Uh, other things on are available. I have a monthly book discussion. Uh, it's just 10 bucks a person the first Wednesday of every month. We do some networking. I'll give you a book summary and then there's some facilitated discussion. So it's a great opportunity to network, get some insights and even stay in touch and keep each other accountable with whatever next actions you want to take after having uh, heard the book. Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor. Go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate, all one word, iTunes rate. It'll take you through how to leave a rating and review and how to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every episode as it comes out in your feed. Until next time, invest your time, your talent, and your treasures, develop your influence, and impact 
the world.